Hey everybody, this is Dr. Andy Wilzak. This week I'm talking with Dr. Mike Dando, an assistant professor from St. Cloud State University, about his research on comic books and Afrofuturism. This is episode 37 of Untenure Tracks. So my area of, of interest um, in, in both research and teaching um, is in youth culture broadly um, and its intersection um, and the ways it sort of uh, it, its implications for public schools, particularly secondary schools, so middle school and high school, um, and how those students make sense of their world and then how they translate that into critical media literacy um, and democratic engagement, right? So what that means is um, I look at the things that kids are interested in, how that shows up in the classroom, and then what they do with that afterwards, right? So it's it's sort of this... Um, constellation or sort of ecosystem right so a lot of times you get clap you get education that's sort of um binary right so it's like well you'll use this in the real world like the classroom is pretend yeah right and so like you leave the real world out there and then you bring and then wherever we are is some sort of i don't know brigadoon or something right like <laughs> brigadoon <laughs> shout out <laughs> um i got layers man um but, but it's this, this notion of um, uh, affording students or inviting students real lives and real experiences into the classroom and then looking at the ways in which that um, can be uh, supported, sustained in, um, in participatory democracy. So I, take, so I take my nerd stuff really, really seriously because of that. Um, and I particularly look at comics, comic culture, graphic art. Um, and hip hop culture through a culturally sustaining and culturally um, responsive uh, and relevant way. So, what I'm working on, I'm working on a lot of stuff. Um, my most, the most recent stuff I'm working on is um, is an, an approach, a framework for. Um, comics education, comics pedagogy, um, particularly with um, folks who are not represented or, or find themselves um, ignored or um, in some way pushed out of the conversations in the classroom, right? They don't show up in, in the literature. They show up in the pedagogy. They don't show up in hardly anything in the public school classroom, Um textbooks, curriculum, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking at um, ways to bring comics into the classroom um, as the curriculum. So there's a lot of literature that, that uh, and a lot of research done on um, um, like using comics to teach 
um, kids to read good. <laughs> right? Like, hey, kids, do you hate reading? It's like, no, but go on. <laughs> well, if you hate reading, you'll love this comic book. Right? I'm, yeah. Shouts to everyone who's like put a lot of work into those articles. Uh, I, but But there's a lot of using you know um you'll find like graphic novels to teach about volcanoes and mm-hmm. like uh, it's not it's not bad um but it, it it's sort of like having a lamborghini and refusing to drive it over 25 miles an hour <laughs> yeah do you know what yeah. I mean? like it's like oh this is good it's it's moving yeah it's of transport but you're not opening it up there's a whole bunch of potential you're just leaving behind because you don't know how it really works. So, like, uh, so what you're saying is like a, a six-page, uh, like, mini comic book where some kids go on a field trip somewhere and they see a volcano and like uh, a volcanologist is like, "That's lava! Don't touch it!" Right. Is not it, really exactly. the best. And there's a lot of that, or a lot of um, adaptations of, um, like Sherlock Holmes stories. And I love Sherlock Holmes. I, like that was some of my first like some of my first literature loves and it's not i mean it's tom clancy you know <laughs> in ye old england right? no. it's just like i was going to say tom clancy didn't write sherlock holmes we've got a problem here <laughs> no tom, no but, but it was very popular like at the time it was very popular literature right yep. so there's yep. nothing wrong with i, I mean mm-hmm. i take i like i said i take popular culture very, very seriously, because mm-hmm. I think it, it is um, it frames up the ways we think about each other, the ways we think about people and, and mm-hmm. places and things and ideologies. Um, and it's a it, it's sort of a, a function of how we communicate. So I, I, I take that um, very, very seriously. Um, but at the same time, I understand that, like, um, these popular cultural forms um, are very are, are popular. <laughs> Right, and, and and by that I mean it's um, there's there's this notion of well if it's popular then it 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 can't be good, mm-hmm. right? Right, and so um, what you have is a lot of um, like I was saying you have a lot of adaptations of um, classic literature, right? Like Arthur Conan, like Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. graphic novels, and it's just the, an adaptation of um, uh, Hound of the Baskervilles. Mm-hmm. And somebody drew some pictures. Um, And that's not really what I study. What I look at is – so let's let's talk about Superman, for example. Um, And not Nietzsche's Superman. We're talking about (laughs) Cal-El Krypton, um, Siegel and Schuster, right? um, What I look at is ways we can look at um, and think about Superman um, as a framework for considering identity, right? So in a classroom, right, you would ask particular questions of this text. Um, you would say, okay, well, Kal-El, um, how is this an immigrant story, for example? Just as, you know, how, mm-hmm. is, this, how is this a story of a refugee, mm-hmm. right? And bring that into conversation with contemporary, uh, with those contemporary issues, right? Um, because that's always been how... That's always been the function of Superman. Um, Superman has, you know, Action Comics number one. He's like reforming the government and saving a, a guy from death row, a lady from death row, and um, it, like saving, a, you know, he's intervening in, in domestic uh, 
violence disputes, and that was just all in one day, right? He was very much a like, very much man of the people. Yeah. Um, and um, how can how how does that um how how does that influence the way we think about um truth justice the american way which really didn't get added until world, world war ii yeah um so so i don't look at i i look at how comics do that kind of work okay. um in a classroom um and you can and across across content areas right um, because I'm a firm believer that every content area that, that schools are an ideological and a political place, um, and that it's ide- that that it is the ideologies um, that drive the particular curriculum and the ways that we have things structured. Um, and so I look at ways comics can resist and push back on some of those dominant narratives, um, and even simplistic ones like comics are for kids that don't like to read. Yeah. Um, that is a conversation that I, I have a, with a lot of, with a lot of teachers, um, where they'll say, well, isn't this just for, isn't this just for kids? Isn't this just for people that don't have the attention span for real books? Um, and you know, you kind of have to, you, you have to debunk that by looking at, um, the, ways that they can that the, the the medium can function right um and it's not a comments on a genre um genres like mystery or mm-hmm. horror or romance that's a genre comics are a medium mm-hmm. uh, and so the little things like that people that there's there's still <laughs> avengers can make a gajillion d dollars but there's still this <laughs> fundamental misunderstanding of what comics are and what they can do, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just an adaptation, and it's not just a way to get at real literature or a way to get at um, – mm-hmm. it's not a stepping stone to um, real reading. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the stuff that I work on. Um, I work with um, libraries in, in creating memoirs. Um, uh, around you know refugee narratives, um, you know, we read Persepolis and some of those um, some of those things. Mouse, um, and then bring in um, bring in their stories. Work with uh, high school and middle school teachers and students to um, curate um, curate those uh, those stories. A lot of them have to tend to be narratives. Um, personal narratives, memoir narratives, but sometimes you get into that superhero. The superhero is a genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes we get into the superhero genre and sometimes we get into the, the, you know, the more memoir, the memoir stuff, but that, those are the projects that I tend to, that I tend to work the most on. I've got a couple of, um, I'm working with the museum of uncut funk, um, which is a, um, a wonderful organization, um, that curates the um, the uh, oh. black and African American culture. Yep. And um, they have a tremendous archive of vintage superheroes, mm-hmm. uh, vintage black superheroes. Neil Knight, for example, um, and um, working with working with them to develop uh, develop some curriculum. Um, 
we got some stuff stuff cooking there. So a lot of a lot of projects that I'm working on. I am very busy and also very tired. <laughs> that, was, that was one sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this might be like a really dumb question. I don't know. Um. What, what are the, like What are some of your favorite comics or like heroes to teach? Um. Like, what do you find yourself going back to? Like, it's let me let me just shout out my institution. Um, I teach in in Minnesota, St. Cloud State University, and I work in the in the English department. And I actually teach a rhetorics in comics course. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite to teach, uh, Miss Marvel from from Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, not Captain Marvel. I'm talking about Kamala Khan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, check out No No Normal uh, by G Willow Wilson. Um, and Adrian Alfona. Um, I, I love teaching that because it is a, um, it is a fresh take. I'm trying not to give too many spoilers for anybody who maybe hasn't, hasn't read it, but, um, it's a young, uh, Pakistani girl, Muslim girl who, um, becomes a superhero and she has a fully functional family. No one like... <laughs> No one dies in some horrible, like, awful way, right? It's not the, uh, you know, it's not spoilers. It's not Spider-Man and is like, I don't care about you. And then Uncle Ben gets murdered. He's like, oh, I should have cared about somebody. It's it's totally a fresh take. Um, and it has to do with race, gender, class, and belonging, um, national identity, um, religious tolerance, like all of the things that a comics can do, this does. Um, another great one I love to teach is because I'm an equal opportunity uh, lover of comics. Um, I teach a uh, from DC from from the Distinguished Competition. Uh, I teach uh, it's by David Walker. Uh, it's a, a title called Naomi, and it is about a young woman who becomes a uh, a superhero. A young woman of color who becomes a superhero discovers herself. Um, also, no one dies a horrible death. Um, a fully functional family, but she's adopted, um, and um, it, it has to do with a lot of uh, a lot of those really amazing issues um, that that comics can deal with. And then I also love teaching uh, from Image called Bitterroot. By uh, again is by actually by David Walker and the incredible Sanford Green and Chuck Brown, um, and it is that is I could easily describe that as um, what if the Ghostbusters were in the 1920s and instead of Egon and company it was Harriet Tubman, W. E. B. Du Bois, um, and Angela Davis. <laughs> It is awesome. They fight monsters, and it's about racism, and it is one of the greatest things you'll ever read. Um, so go read those. Those are the three I love to teach the most because they are uh, they they have a lot of utility. Um, they really drive home the point of what comics can do. Yeah, uh, they're relatively you can they're they're relatively when I say easy to jump into. It's that they're from their you know they're not. Um, you know, I love old school comics, but they can be corny and they can be goofy. And these are uh, still relatively fresh and new and and timely. And so uh, we do th- we look at those in um, my rhetorics of 
uh, pop culture class, and we, we look at them from a feminist perspective, a neo-Marxist perspective, a new literacy perspective, a dramatistic perspective, um, from pretty much every which way you can you can consider a text. Um, we we take it very very seriously as as literature, and but as a um, mediated ideologies as well. So I'm wondering, um, because there are some franchises that have these really gigantic, um, I guess, backstories, uh, does, has that ever been like a barrier to teaching a particular title? So I'm thinking about the X-Men, right? And sure. the X-Men, I, I think, are a fantastic way to teach about civil rights. I think the story between Magneto and right. Professor X mirroring um, Malcolm X and right. Dr. Martin Luther King is, is really um, great. I think, like... I, I like that you can't you can approach that in a way where there's I mean there's villains but not really you know um, but like the right. backstory for X Men is so the, the back catalog is so and the continuity is just so so I'll say it it's a mess uh, yeah it's, it's, it's a disaster I love you very much, <laughs> but yikes yeah uh, um, <laughs> well um, what I actually do is um, I teach. There's a great standalone called God Loves, Man Kills. Um, and it is uh, the inspiration for, and I looked at this today, and, it, and my bones, I turned into the Infinity War dust. Um, <laughs> the first X-Men movie is now 20 years old. Oh, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm to break the bear of bad type. Like that's two decades ago. But God Loves, Man Kills is, is where they got a lot of that script from. Yeah. Um, but it is very much um, a great jumping off point for um, what the X-Men are about without going to, like, X-Men 1. Um, so I use that one. Um, but we, uh, we talk a lot about um, the X-Men from a – from – a postmodern perspective in that um, in the 60s X-Men um, the, the X-Men premiered the same year it came out the same year as the as the Montgomery Church bombing right so we have to right so you have to like that's the I context that. that X-Men come out of wow you know, you know what I mean um, in the thick of it so this was a really transgressive piece right and yes it, it was a metaphor but it was a metaphor um, in a lot of ways about race. Flash forward to the 90s, and it's a metaphor for AIDS. There's the, le- um, there, there's the, um, the legacy virus mm-hmm. storyline. Um, there's the phalanx covenant. Um, and, and so the X-Men have always been this really utility... It's, it's, been, it's been a... I almost said utilitous, but I don't think that's a word. <laughs> I don't it think... I don't think it. Um, <laughs> if we say it enough times, it becomes a word. We just have to enter yeah. into UrbanDictionary.com afterwards, yeah. and we're set. Yes, please cite this podcast <laughs> and, and cite me. And yep. we'll never use the word utilitous. Yep. Hashtag utilitous. Yep. Um, but, but they've been... There's a lot of utility there in that they are a... Uh, a stand-in, I won't say a proxy, but they're at least a stand-in for marginal uh, marginal communities. Yeah. Folks who feel and are beset. Uh, I can't think of a better word, but but the, the dominant forms of governmental, cultural, social ideologies, right? This, like, uh, everything from, from slurs to governmental policy. Yeah. Um, 
goes into these goes into these comics mm-hmm. um, and, and in telling these stories. So I haven't run into continuity problems because I try and put it in the in that context. Is the great thing about the great thing about um, comics is uh, they grow up with you, even if the characters don't. They grow up with you. So, for example, uh, with with great power must also come great responsibility. That's Spider Man. Well, mm-hmm. that means something different to me now as a forty year old than it did as a fourteen year old. <laughs> right. Yes. And so, yeah. And so, yeah. It's not yep. the noblesse oblige necessarily, um, but it's this notion of um, what do we owe each other. <laughs> well, as a as a forty year old, I have a different set of of social obligations. Um, as a fourteen year old, I also have those things. Yeah, um, but they, but they express themselves differently. Spider Man has been, you know, yeah, he was a teenager, and now he's like maybe in his thirties. But he really should be if he is aging in real time. He'd be seventy. Yeah, eight. So they grow up with you, and and that's that's the nice thing about it, and that's what I tell that's what I tell folks is, um, they meet you where you're at, and they will join you for your journey. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. It's, um, yeah. Just I just went down like this, uh, I don't know, like a, a hello darkness, my old friend kind of thing <laughs> in my mind of like there's so much more. Yeah, like yeah, fourteen year old yeah. you is like. Yeah. Yeah, sure. This is where I can ride my bike, <laughs> right. but what if I don't? And now, as a couple of middle-aged academics in the face of like this massive ac- academic crisis, <laughs> like, Correct. yeah, this means <laughs> so much more <laughs> than it did than it did back when back whenever uh, I first heard that. I don't remember the first time I I saw I heard that that phrase, but anyway, I, and and. And that's one of the things I talk about is comics culture is is deeply yes it's it's this huge economic force um, the you know Endgame made all of the money mm-hmm. um, you know and and you know Black Panther was this cultural phenomenon yep. as well I teach I teach Black Panther and I deal a lot with Afrofuturism as well in, in some of my work mm-hmm. um, it, it's an ingrained part of the the public consciousness right um, my my spouse does not like or read comics but we just watched miss marvel and she's like that was awesome and i'm like i know <laughs> um but she's not going to pick it up she's not going to pick up a miss marvel comic because uh that's not what she does but she's still familiar she's still conversant in the culture and i think a lot of times um uh, educators will kind of eschew that kind of uh, popular culture because it's like oh well isn't that just fu- flaming fist punching and yes yes it is um but it's also it's a both and it's, yeah you know um it is all of that but it also is a way that that we make sense of our worlds right so like for a 13 year old wolverine is great because he has all of this <laughs> all of this pent up rage and yep. angst mm-hmm. um and knife hands um, so he's yep. like, no one's going to mess with him, and that's awesome. You don't want you want the power to keep people from messing with you. Mm-hmm. But then, as you look at, at, at you look at his story as you get older, it's just like, wow, he was just this complete. He's completely manipulated by the Canadian government, and mm-hmm. he was experimented on, and that opens up a whole new conversation on 
eugenics and mm-hmm. we'll talk about the Tuskegee experiments and, and weapon X, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like yep. people actually experiment on other people and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so those are, those are sort of where I'm, where I'm at and they are, they have permeated the, the public consciousness to where I don't have to explain like, okay, it's now Spider-Man is a man who has the power of a spider. People are like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a web sticky guy. <laughs> I know yep. that guy. I know that guy. Yep. I've seen Uncle Ben die half a dozen times now on the big screen. Yes. Yes. Um, I, in fact, I've seen him die so much that I was glad when he didn't in the other ones. In the in the um, Tom... I almost said Tom Stoppard. Great playwright. Not in the Spider-Man movies. Tom Holland... I thought um, they, I thought you were going to say Tom Savini, which would be a really amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. That would be an amazing Spider-Man. No, the Tom, the Tom, uh, yeah, the Tom Holland, the new stuff. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, Uncle Ben's dead. Like yeah, you yep. know, if you're in this movie, if you're watching this movie, you know Uncle Ben's dead. Yep, and we didn't have to deal with it in uh, the Spider-Verse either, because that could have right. been like overkill, like literally. Right. You know, a six-year-old did not need. That. He was upset enough when Uncle Aaron dies. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I spend a lot of that's where I spend a lot of my time um, is is dealing with um, you know uh, Stuart Hall talks talks about this and and I'm in very much in agreement with him um, is is and I'm paraphrasing he talks about. You know, I'm not really interested in pop culture except to the extent where it can help us figure out how to get free, right? How 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 it um, makes a more democratic and equitable and free and fair society, right? Uh, so I'm really not. I don't really care about superheroes except to the extent that they help me think about what justice looks like in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love comics dearly. Um, I don't remember a time. One of my earliest memories is is um, watching Spider Man and his amazing friends. But uh, you know, uh, they never. I never outgrew them, or they never outgrew me. Um, and um, I I think that we're seeing that happen with a lot of people um, because those are the folks who are the the taste makers now. Um, everywhere from. You know the Russo brothers who did the Avengers movies to um, people who are you know we got Pulitzer Prize Ta-Nehisi Coates um, is writing Captain America because you know and he wrote Black Panther um, mm-hmm. because he's part of that generation um, mm-hmm. as we all grew up with we all grew up on this media or at least many of us did um, and so and so too have our uh, have our students so. So I'm, I have a question, and it's going to make you mad. I think so. Um, and this isn't like I don't play devil's advocate. I tell my I put in my syllabus actually that students are not allowed to play devil's advocate anymore <laughs> because That's I get advocate. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Like, why would you want to? Why would you want to advocate for the devil? Like, why are you here doing the devil's work? There's enough people doing that. Um, but this is like a, a common uh, no, sure. kind of uh, part of the rhetoric. Um, as more and more stuff comes out from Disney and um, all their ownings now, what's your reaction when when people about our age say that uh, such and such a movie ruined their childhood? That's a great question. Um, 
your childhood was very fragile. <laughs> yes. Um, that's what I usually say. I was like, um, because, yeah, what you're really saying is I have a way that I understand myself, and this is not conforming to that. I'll give you an example. Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the Spider-Verse, if you haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse, pause the podcast. Come back, please. But pause the podcast, go watch it, and then come back. It's so good. It's, okay. it's one of the best superhero movies. It's just, I mean, it's a great movie. It's right. a great coming-of-age movie, really. Right. So go do that, and then come back. Okay, welcome back. Um, <laughs> so when Miles Morales jumped off, and this was you know now 10 years, 10, 11 years ago, um, the reaction by now what we have come to, which has metastasized into certain, what we'll say, certain particular political ideologies, was that this was not the real Spider-Man. Peter Parker was the real Spider-Man. Well, mm-hmm. Peter Parker's pretend. <laughs> okay, this is all pretend. It's all made up stuff. Yep. But you very much have tied your identity to that. Mm-hmm. And so when people say, "Well, it ruined my childhood," um, what I what I will often say is, "Well, well, what is it about that's bothering you?" Well, it's not it's not mine. And I say, like, "It never was yours, man." Yeah. Or woman or person. Mm-hmm. Never was yours. Mm-hmm. You've constructed your identity around this cultural figure. And that's great. That's that's part of what it's for. But you have to understand that different people will create different understandings based on who they are. Mm-hmm. Right? So so no, it didn't ruin your childhood. You have to rethink who you are, and that's what's bothering you. Yep. <laughs> what's bothering <laughs> you is the co- it's the cognitive dissonance. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Right? It didn't ruin childhood. Didn't yeah. ruin your ruin your childhood. It should make your childhood that much richer to understand that you are a part of a larger community, that it, you are a part of an ongoing mythos, mm-hmm. not meh, it doesn't do what I want it to. Yeah. Well, a f- tough luck for you, friend. Yeah. Yeah, it just makes me wonder like we've come we've come so far in the wrong direction from like I used to show the documentary Trekkies in my classes. Um, And just, like, the almost universal love around Star Trek as a franchise. I don't even know if there's there's still those conventions going on. They must be somewhere, but I I know... Uh, They are. I know, I don't... I I would be surprised if they're as big as they used to be, but... um, It's just just so strange to me that we can go from, like, this is this universally loved thing where, you know... And that franchise, specifically, hadn't been turning out new stuff in a long time, and there were still people coming together to celebrate it. And then, flash forward, you know, a couple of decades, and people are are furious at uh, Miles Morales, they're furious at um, Ray, they're they're sending death threats to... um, Oh, I'm spacing on her name now. Um, Daisy Ridley? uh, I was going to say she played Rose. In Last oh, Jedi. Uh, Kelly Marie Tran. Tran. Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah, Kelly. Apology. A billion apologies to Kelly Marie Tran. Um, that's... I forgot... And, and I forgot um, John Dewey the other day. And I was like, that guy, his giant mustache! <laughs> the mayor from Powerpuff Girls? No, John Dewey. Um, 
So sometimes it's very, we're all very tired, um, and things that we know intimately are just escape us for the time being. But yeah, it's things that it's not above critique. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's above critique. What I'm saying is when you're talking about ruining your childhood, what you're saying is who I am was shaped yep. by these things, and now I have to rethink who I am in this new in uh-huh. this this new space in this new era and. That can be very, very difficult. People, you know, bleeding about keep politics out of comics. Uh, you never saw Captain America punch Hitler. Then that's what you're saying, mm-hmm. or you're, you're saying, or you're saying something different. And 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 I think I think we need to take seriously uh, rethinking who we who we are um, and ways we think about the world. Um, those should change and those should adapt and those should develop. And if, if you're, if you're stagnant, then we've got to, <laughs> if you're wor- yearning for the ways we never were, then we've got to, then you, then we've got a fundamental problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stagnant is a really good, a really good way to put it. I was thinking like sheltered, right? Like this, this shows how, how sheltered your, uh, adult life has become. Right, that you you yeah. haven't. If this is such a big issue for you that you're you're willing to to fight people on the internet about it, and and sure. really torment the actors that are portraying some of these characters on the screen, right. like what? Where did you go wrong? Where did things go wrong for you? You know. Right. And I I also wonder too, like clearly people don't remember what the comics code was, and I kind of wonder if if like Congress proposed that today. Would there there would probably be about thirty five to forty percent of the country that would be in favor of it, right? Oh, oh, for sure, um, for sure. That, um, that consistent thirty five percent that seems to be in favor of like every dumb idea. Which, <laughs> that's which that, and, and when people talk about well, are comics? Are you taking this too seriously? Are comics really this this? Are comic studies all of that serious? Is is that is it really that deep? But it, it I, but it I, is because like it's exactly it's I mean I, this is another thing I cover in my intro social class is like this is they are living through our students are living through like myth making right? right these are stories that, are, right. that if there's a human race in another two thousand years knock wood there's yeah the way <laughs> things are going let's make it another I don't know two thousand days. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but these are are legacies. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be... I mean, we joke about Uncle Ben dying a a thousand times, or or poor Thomas and Martha Wayne getting it in Crime Mm -hmm. Alley. Like, in -hmm. centuries, like, those studies are... That's going to be taught as, uh, in my opinion, like, yeah, it's classical literature. Like, you're going to read the Odyssey, and you're going to read, I don't know... The, the hush- Batman. Yeah, the Batman. <laughs> he's not really a he's not really a bat, but there is this whole Go man ahead. bat thing. <laughs> right. It's it's a it's a thing. People really believe this. It was more of a Yep. <laughs> they didn't really believe he was a man bat. Um but no, you're I, I, that that's yeah, it is a significant thing and I will point to the fact that they had a Senate hearing on the rules for comics. Like, Madison Avenue understands. The, 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 the federal government understands. I have a whole collection of 
um, you know, sort of just say no comics, right? So there's like the American Cancer Society is like, let's get Spider-Man and Luke Cage and Storm together and they'll fight Cigarette Guy. <laughs> I think his name is like Smoke Out or something. <laughs> Right, it's more yeah, it's more it. subtle than the than the the George Lucas oh. thing with the oh, death sticks. They're, they're awful, <laughs> um, but they're but but they're I they are they are meant to be, and they're not simply just education. They're not educational. They're they're propaganda. Yep. Um, they are ideological, and that's mm-hmm. what I tell people is like that's not educational. Hey kids, don't smoke. Yep, got it. <laughs> um, or or the. Um, and they did this with DC and they did this with Marvel. It was like, oh, this drugs thing is really a problem. Um, and, and the FDA actually asked Stan Lee, can you do a couple of comics on from Spider-Man um, about drugs? And he said, yeah, but they can't be printed under the uh, – we can't do that under – like legally. Yeah. Um, and they said, OK, well, we'll make special dispensation for you. Um, and there are three – in the first 700 comics – um, so it was about till t- I think 2001, um, but in the first like six or 700 comics, um, only three don't have the little comics code stamp, and they're the ones yep. that the FDA asked, "Hey, can you can you do some drug issues?" And the same thing happened with Neil Adams and um, Denny O'Neill. The government came to them and said, "Hey, uh, can you do can you do some anti drug stuff for us?" And they said, "Yeah." We're not going to do it in Superman, and we're not going to do it in Batman. So they said, well, what titles can you do? And they said, well, we can do it in this Green Lantern book we're thinking about canceling anyway. And so, you know, is that okay? And they're like, fine, great, grand, wonderful. Um, and it came, out in the, you know, it came out in the 70s, and it was – that's the Speedy gets – you know, there's a famous cover where it's like, my word, Speedy is a junkie. Um, I don't know why it sounds like John Mulaney. <laughs> John Mulaney. But, um, but, like, that's a very – so that's that's a very timely thing, you know, ripped from the headlines. But that was that was a political thing. It was an ideological thing. Um, and so, yes, comics have been and continue to be that serious. I remember, and, and this is just how I'm wired. Um, I it was shortly after 9-11 um, in 2001. Um, it's it probably, you know, maybe a week or week or two within a month. And I was going through, uh, walking through a Walgreens where they still sold comics, and there was, um, it's now a very famous cover. It's just a black cover of Amazing Spider-Man, and like I was compelled to buy it. Like there was something like within the very fibers of my being that was like Spider-Man will help me navigate this, and I meant that. I mean that in a very serious way, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. okay, um, how do I make sense of the world? Comics have always helped me before. They are continuing now, so they are very, they are very much um, a part of how we deal with things, both politically, culturally, and ideologically. And so, yes, it is that serious. And I think part of part of the you, you'll see this a lot in you'll see this a lot in education circles and pedagogic circles is the devaluing of things so it can be appropriated. So you'll see a lot of well, this this is for kids and not really for you know this isn't going to be on Spider Man's not going to show up on the AP test. So then a large you know publication company will you know buy the rights to something, and then at school book fairs you'll see lots of comics by particular you know um, or in arrangement with 
particular things in uh, particular publishing houses or or, or, or imprints was the word I was looking mm-hmm. for. Um, and they continue their status. You know, you see them at middle school book fairs or elementary school book fairs, and so they're for elementary school kids. And elementary school kids don't really have to take things that seriously because they just go play kickball. Well, we know that's not true, um, but it reifies this narrative um, that that's what comics do and that's who they're for. And then so, um, and if they're, if they dare exist outside that then it's going to be some sort of deviance right it's going to be you know that's what frederick wortham said it was just like oh this is this is terrible it's teaching the children to be all kinds of things we don't want yep Mm -hmm. so i think there there are probably people listening to this who don't know what afrofuturism is so i was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit okay i'm going to talk about afrofuturism by at first explaining what it is not Okay. Um, a lot of people think that Afrofuturism, it's science fiction plus Africa equals Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. That is not it. That is not it. So, no, what it is, is it is a way of approaching, under, it's a very political way of understanding self, right? And so uh, that draws from the history of the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. So think, think about it like this. If you were to tell a story of what your community looked like in the future, and this is, you know, and, and this is particularly for, for uh, folks, um, and when I say folks of color, I, I mean primarily for the African diaspora, but it can apply to Afro-Latino and um, other, other folks. Um, but if you're going to tell a story about your future, Afrofuturism, what it does is it says, okay, it, it is based on, on your past, right? So it's a way of thinking. Those stories are best told by drawing from past traditions, the history of uh, African Americans and, Afri- uh, and, and the African diaspora. You, you draw from the history to, pre- to, to think about your present situation and then to project or speculate what the future might hold, mm-hmm. right? And so you, you think about, okay, so how did – it's very David Byrne. How did I get here? <laughs> and you may ask yourself, right? How yeah. did I get here? And for, and for folks – and for, for, the, for an African-American living in the United States, just as an example, that response to that David Byrne question, well, how did I get here, is very different from me as a white middle-class male, mm-hmm. right? And so because that answer is different, the speculation will then be different, right? So the ways in which I imagine the future based on my past, right, are, is, is going to look is going to look different. Yep. Um, so so you think about you think about what you think about what life is like for let's say uh, um, an African American male in living in the United States um, and all of the political and 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 social and cultural complications that 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 come with that 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 accompany that um when you imagine the freedom in the future the contours of that story are going to necessarily be different mm-hmm. um and so uh what i would recommend is looking at, at uh, octavia e butler is fantastic at doing this um she looks um uh, uh, at 
California in particular, uh, the parable of the sower, um, for example, imagines the distant future of, I think, 2025 um, (laughs) in California um, and um, what that what that would look like. She takes the political realities of African-American society and culture in the 1970s and then projects it 30 years of the future and says, here's what's likely to happen. And and it reads, if you read, go read Parable of the Sower, it reads like a like she's typing down what's happening right now. So oh, she wow. seems very prophetic, mm-hmm. but she was just connecting the dots. Um, Samuel Delaney, same thing. Um, Black Panther uh, is a good example. The movie is a good example of of Afrofuturism. So you can think about it like this: uh, if Africa was never colonized, mm-hmm. uncolonized. Right, mm-hmm. not decolonized, uncolonized. Well, then, what would the development be? Mm-hmm. What would the technological development be? How would it? Of course, it would draw from. It would draw from the societies and the cultures, and there's there's a lot of Pan Africanism. Mm-hmm. And Ruth Carter is fantastic; she's a fantastic mm-hmm. designer. But that was all done very intentionally to draw from African, mm-hmm. in, uh, from these ancient aesthetics and traditions, mm-hmm. right? And so it takes on a particular look. It takes on a particular feel because it's based in rooted in particular ways of thinking knowing and being right the mm-hmm. the the um and it's it's you know it's with everything it's it's going to have its tensions and and it's going to be problematic in in a couple of ways but um afrofuturism is a way for folks particularly of african descent to make sense of their world and to imagine um a political and cultural freedom in the future so if you want a really good example of Afrofuturism, look at Janelle Monet mm-hmm. the, um, and, and the music and, and art of Janelle Monet. Um, if you are a jazz fan, look at Sun Ra. Um, he, he uh, back in the 70s, uh, was famous for saying, space is the place. There's no space in the, in, on Earth that's safe for, for, for people of color. So, bye. <laughs> And then yeah. they left. Like he imagined, like we live in space now. <laughs> in the future, bye. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Right, but it's just like right. Um, George Clinton, the P Funk All Stars, the Mothership. Mm-hmm. Same, same idea. Um, what does freedom look like in the future? Um, and so I work a lot. I, 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 I work with. Um, I, I work with what does Afrofuturism look like? Um, in in schools, right? Um, and how how do we provide opportunities for young folks to tell their own stories on their own terms and to uh, investigate their own history that is often left out of curriculum? So, how do your students a- respond? Oh, Sorry. <laughs> oh no, no, that's okay. I mean, I I I uh, I have a growing. Uh, obsession, I guess, with Afrofuturism. Like, I don't have time, but um, the right. the book uh, Lagos. Have you read that? Yes, 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 yes. Um, I loved it. I mean, that's. I think that's one of my favorite sci-fi books that I've, I've read lately. I've, I've been on a big for like the last two years. I I I've been on a big sci-fi binge, and so. Um. The amazing N.K. Jemison. Yes. Um, yep. Is if uh, when is Black? Uh, how long till um, Black Future Month? Yep. Fantastic. She's also mm-hmm. writing comics. She's yep. 
writing uh, Far Sector, Green Lantern, uh, Green Lantern book. Um, uh, Nettie Akorafor, yeah, fantastic. Yep, she got, wrote uh, she wrote Lagos. Yep, yep, yep. exactly. Um, and she's got a great. I wanted to shout her out because mm-hmm. uh, she's got uh, Binti, which yep. is great for um, like middle schoolers. So I mm-hmm. mean, um, and then Who Fears Death, who George R R Martin is producing for HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's coming out. Yeah, the first um, the first Binti book was really was really awesome. I've got I, the, I got the rest I, of the collection. I haven't I haven't finished it yet, but the first one is I great. I used that in my teacher ed classroom. Yeah, um, for for teaching YA, that's mm-hmm. a, a book that I use um, to try and well because it's awesome, and then to mm-hmm. try and there's only so much where the red fern grows that you can teach. <laughs> I think even, I think even the... even where the red fur grows is probably tired of being taught at this point. <laughs> That's probably true. Like, come on, guys! Like, I did not deserve this long of a run. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. <laughs> Surely, there's been new ideas since. Surely, right? Since exactly. Whatever. Right. Whenever. Yeah. That, when did that book even come out? Where the oh, red fur grows? I don't. But long enough for me to not know. Yeah. Um. No, but the long and short of the long and short of Afrofuturism is white folks have been telling stories about the future for forever. Yep. Um, what and how and why would it be different if folks, mm-hmm. uh, if black folks had control over their own stories? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be Jules Verne. Mm-hmm. I love Jules Verne. They, you know, it, mm-hmm. but it looks different. A Victor- it's a very Victorian understanding. The time yep. machine. Mm-hmm. Um, is a very is a very Victorian thing. Yep. Time travel is a very I was to say very white privilege. <laughs> it is, but it is though. It is right. Mm-hmm. So, so Afrofuturism. That's why it's not just like, oh, well, we have a we have a captain of a spaceship who's yeah. not a white dude. It was like, okay, cool, well, cool, but how is the story different? Yeah. Star Trek Deep Space um, Nine is not an example of Afrofuturism. I, well, here's the well, okay. So here's the thing. I love Cisco because one of the first things Cisco says um, in the first episode, I love Speed Deep Space Nine. Oh, it's my favorite. He punches Q in the face, and he goes, "I'm not Picard." Yep. And that's exactly the point. Yep. It is that guy is different because he must be. Yep. <laughs> right, you yeah. can't you can't just like swap him out for anybody. Yeah, and he puts a fine point on it. Every Brooks, mm-hmm. uh, oh, he's he's um, he's <laughs> fantastic. I mean, that show is so right. is so well written. I think so underappreciated because it's a Star Trek show. I think if they had it, it, it tweaked really it a little bit and just made it its own standalone kind of piece, um, it I think it would be heralded as like a. Like one of the classics of American Fine. sci-fi. I mean, the and, way and that they I, that they interplay like military and politics and religion in that right. is just so right. wonderful. Right. And, and genocide, and that's the big, like, come that's on, that's a great way. And I haven't even I haven't really even thought about that before. Is is a great way to think about Avery Avery Brooks or, or sorry Benjamin Cisco as an Afrofuturist uh, idea? Is I'm not Picard, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and I I think there's there is some wisdom there and that's really a way to think about afrofuturism is um it is not a british white dude in space it mm-hmm. is thinking about what that what it means to be in the future as a person of color and as i think about it too like deep space nine takes out a lot of the colonial aspects of the previous two series where like right. the enterprise is is really 
just a military ship that's out looking to conquer stuff in the name of right. exploration, but like we're armed right. to the teeth and we'll we'll blow you away if you challenge us at all. <laughs> it's right. really right. I mean, talk about stuff growing up with you. Like I can't I can't watch those shows anymore because it's just so it's so gross. Well, <laughs> really I was, I was But but Deep I, Space Nine is like he has to balance this like he's got so many balls in the air, right? With having to be like this military commander, baseballs. yeah, including the baseball. Yep, this this military commander who has like this religious role thrust on him that he's not even really yeah. sure how he how he handles it or how to handle right. it. Like it's it's right. it takes out all of the colonial, all the colonizing shit from earlier. Right, like and that's that's great. Right, so well, I guess in a, that, in a strange kind exactly of way, maybe right. it does fit this definition. And. And one of the things that and I'm working on a I'm working on a paper that's going to come out later this year on uh, the universal translator as a technology of uh, colonialism. Mm-hmm. You're going to take the entire universe and flatten it to English, <laughs> right? And and anyone who's a reasonable human being is going to sound closer to Picard than they are to anything, right? And, mm-hmm. and if you want them to sound really uh, upsetting, make them sound less. English, right? Like, I love when the I love when the the, the Universal Translator like just it doesn't work, right? Like all of a sudden we're hearing Klingon. We're like, why are we hearing Klingon? Well, because they need to be spooky right now. Yeah, yep. <laughs> they that... need to be angry and animalistic. So that's why we're that's why we're not translating it. It's yeah. Like, well, that seems awful. Yeah, the um, foreignness is always presented as something right. to be afraid of. Like even even not, in the philosophical, like we're all yeah. equal ones where yep. like they're stranded somewhere and the translator's out and they learn how to build a fire together and yeah, kill a bear like or whatever. It's just like, yep. yeah. <laughs> right? It's just like, I understand you, but I don't get you. Like, yeah. Okay, fine. Let's, <laughs> let's rip off enemy mine, but at the same time, Picard isn't the one that's weird and wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that's the kind of thing that, that at, like Afrofuturism would, would hold that, um, no, we don't all speak English. In mm-hmm. fact, there's a whole bunch of different languages that that would be potentially spoken in an Afrofuturist mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. Among them may be English, but when you take when you take the 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 linguistic history of the African diaspora, it ain't just English, friend. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you'll get like um, uh, read Sam Delaney's work. Uh, Samuel Delaney's work is is fantastic. Dahlgren, for example, um, you know, it talks about a whole bunch of different ways of thinking, knowing, and being um, that are not based in Western ideologies or Western epistemologies. Um, because a lot of our sci-fi and our comics tend to be steeped in that. Yep. And it doesn't have to be that way. So Nnedi Okorafor actually refers to herself as an African jujuist because Mm -hmm. she draws particularly from solely the continent of Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, And she doesn't really – she doesn't really take into account the African-American experience. Mm -hmm. She focuses – and she said this. She focuses solely on the African continent and not the Mm -hmm. diaspora. So she said she's an African futurist, Mm -hmm. which there's there's all kinds. There's no one right way, but I think it's really important. If you take nothing away from my various monologues today, um, it is not just black people plus sci-fi equals – Afrofuturism. It's a way of thinking about yourself in the future. Yep. Um, in, in, within a context that tries to, like, you can't, and I'm not trying to be a bummer, 
or hyperbolic, like you can't go jogging outside without fearing for your life. Yep. So imagining the future is going to look wildly different and in and of itself is a political statement. So to bring it down, to bring it down. <laughs> no, I'm just, um, no, that's great. Um, how do your students react to this? To when you, when you come in, um, with with <laughs> comics and like all these different elements of geek culture that they themselves yeah. I think have probably been conditioned to think of like this yes. isn't really college yes. I didn't I'm not paying to be I, I'm supposed to read some dust I'm supposed to read where the red fern groans again right <laughs> <laughs> or worse um, I, I'm supposed to read Ian Wharton not Stan Lee um, skeptical at first. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, as you said, what the ideological conditioning is, this notion of what well, comics are. Some folks haven't ever read a comic in their life. Um, I've had students, especially um, students who didn't necessarily grow up in the United States or in, in let's say, like um, the UK, for example, um, maybe didn't run into comics, so they aren't really even sure how what what those are necessarily. Um, and then others who are just like, I know what they are; they're for babies. Um, <laughs> once you get into what they, once you start unpacking what they can do, and you take it seriously, for, uh, they've all I won't say all, um, but by and large, come along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, once they, um, we read. Um, in my comic, in my comics class, we read a, a fantastic book by Kyle Baker called Truth, Red, White, and Black, and it starts with this. It's a simple question: Where did that super serum co- for Captain America come from? Mm-hmm. Like it didn't just show up. Mm-hmm. So, what is the military's investment in this, and what has that been in the past? And so, it basically is the um, the Tuskegee experiments, but in comics, mm-hmm. and that's how they got the super serum, super soldier serum is through trial and error which is very much and, and we and we talk about that we talk about the history of medical experimentation in the united states and the uh and, and that is a heavy topic but that but that is one for example one instance where they have my students have noted like oh i definitely understand the connections here and how what they can do and how it works so again skeptical at first um but usually come along for the ride um in a lot of ways i I think part of it is that learning and i said this earlier on on twitter today is is learning can be fun yeah it should be fun it should be joyous it should be adventurous um and and that has been hammered out of people and mm-hmm. so when i'm like hey you guys want to read comics they're like uh what that's not learning <laughs> like it is very learning and they're like oh this is learning hooray and yep. they all let it rip yeah um and we end up making our own comics and zines and all kind of all kind of fun stuff and writing papers uh, as scholarly academic papers on it and, um but yeah at first probably first two weeks it, it is, I have to sell it. I have to pitch it. Because of how the academy positions knowledge, construction, and generation, um, and distribution, and where expertise lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess. I, oh. Oh, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I... <laughs> I think a lot now about like what's the point of what we do and what's the point right. of all of the grading and what does it actually right. what does all the time in the classroom spent lecturing accomplish and the more that I've tried to experiment with different types of assignments the more I've realized that like 
the typical blue book exam and research paper, while it's useful in some instances, is not at all like the be all end all. You know what I mean? And like, especially for my work, I think there's lots of areas of like comics and sci-fi stuff that I could, I could bring in um, pretty easily, I think, and get way more engagement and get the material across probably a lot easier um, or more effectively, I guess, than I, I probably otherwise would have if I'm like, here's this, you know, 300 page book. (laughs) <laughs> you know, knock this out this semester. Like nobody's going to want to do that. Nobody does it. <laughs> but if I say, "Here's you know, you're going to buy the Watchmen, and we're going to talk about that," um, wow. Then <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking. Um, there is. I'm looking at my. I'm looking on my bookshelf here. Hang on for just a second because yeah. there's a great Gene Yang who did American Born Chinese just adapted and I may have talked with you about this just adapted a Superman comic called Superman Smashes the Clan that sounds amazing that's going on the list I'll have to find it but um, it's an adaptation of a 1930s radio drama and you can get the ra- you can get the radio drama mm-hmm. um, on YouTube um, and it's about yeah, you know what it's about? Superman smashes the clan. Exactly. What um, it sounds it's about like. this Yeah, it's like the white dragons or something. It's not the clan, yeah. but it's it's um but it's this very um I won't ruin it, but he, yeah, and it's about crime and the United States and mm-hmm. who gets charged with crimes and who doesn't and uh, uh immigration and refugees mm-hmm. and all kind of stuff. So yeah. Um when I say comics are are sort of interdisciplinary, that's exactly what I mean is in what in what area in education is the search for truth not present? Right? And if that's true, then <laughs> comics fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, can, I, can think of, I can think of one area, but I'm not going to say it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe two. <laughs> oh, no! Yeah, well... <laughs> The search for truth is is sort of the modus operandi, at least in theory, of um, of of schools and, and institutions of learning. Right? Is you know, I went to the University of Wisconsin Madison. Shouts out Badgers, and they have a big big plaque that's like sifting and winnowing for the truth. Right? It's just like you mean prospecting. <laughs> It's like put all it, put it all in a thing and then just shake it and then all the chaff will go away and then that, you'll have truth. That that invites like fool's gold into the metaphor, which I think oh, really okay. applies now with like the yeah. new truth over facts campaign that oh, the, sure. that the but, administration but is trying to roll out. You know, it's this notion of 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 under of what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> how did I get here? This is not my beautiful house, uh, but but. But the but the notion of what are what are we doing here is 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 looking for this is what this is what I I say under undergirds all of my research and all of my my teaching is um, is a search for uh, democracy a search for what what does it mean to what does it mean for everyone to be able to undertake a search for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, that should be uh, an inalienable right, or at least I was, it, was, it was told to me that that was an inalienable right. Um, 
And if that's true, then we should we should do that by any and every means necessary. And I think that um, youth tend to have a better grasp on these things than than we do as grown-ups or as adults as old as aged people <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah i don't know if i'm grown I, up but i'm definitely old yeah that, that's what i mean <laughs> uh, what i say is what i say is adults ruin everything yes right it was like my you know my six-year-old knows not to drink hand sanitizer <laughs> Right? It's like, oh, maybe we should, said the grown-ups. <laughs> so kids get it. And, and to tell them, you know, if, if, if we're really about bringing, um, if we're really about humanizing education, if we're really about um, helping and working with students to realize their true selves and, and, and to be the best thems they can be, um, we can't ask them to leave who, parts of who they are outside the classroom. Mm-hmm. We can't say who you are, your life, your experience, your backgrounds, you know, your ways mm-hmm. of thinking, knowing, and being. You, those aren't welcome in our class. That's uh, that's dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the re- ways that I kind of try and push back against this is to bring those things explicitly into the classroom that are often uh, told they don't belong. So I, I do a lot of hip-hop. Um, and, and, and I don't just mean rap, I mean graffiti and break and DJ and all that kind of stuff. I bring that into the classroom and I bring comics into the classroom because they are both in, in a lot of ways, politically resistant forms to, um, Mm -hmm. dominant ideologies. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what I do. I I also talk in long stretches. I'm really sorry. (laughs) It's totally fine. Don't worry about it at all. Um, this is always a joy for me. Um, I'm thinking because I've been doing a lot of research on revolutions lately. Uh, oh, yes. That's that's become like like the one of the two big obsessions, and it, it's like dovetails with this crime history thing. Like I I see them now actually as kind of intertwined. But anyway, um, yeah. reading this this book by um, Hannah Arndt about uh, like her yes. her philosophies on revolution, and she talks about how uh, freedom. Basically, like she's saying that freedom is socially constructed, and that we have different yes. concepts of what freedom is. And so, if you've never if you've never read them side by side, I would really encourage everybody to look at the American Declaration of Independence alongside the Haitian Declaration of Independence. Oh my gosh! Yes, and do that. it is it is the best. Um, I, I think you'll really understand a lot of what what Mike and I are talking about today if you if you do that. The Haitian Declaration of Independence is <laughs> I, I don't know how to even how to even describe it they are the documents are they're arguing for the same thing but one is very much wearing its heart on its sleeve <laughs> and and, yes. the, and the american one is is not that the american one is very <sighs> boring i guess by comparison which i, I know I- is like sacrilegious or whatever in, in the year 2020 to say but well, it is you know the haitians were furious and well, and imagining had, yeah so just like imagining like what freedom means to people and how to like how to use education as a way to provide people power and like i think i think a lot of what you're talking about today really speaks to that right how how previous generations would say that comics or even just like alternative forms of like assignments, right? Like zines or making podcasts themselves or whatever. Yeah. Like that's not right. real learning. But then that means that mm-hmm. their definition of knowledge is very limited. Right. Right. And that 
Well, it's it is. It's whose knowledge is of the most worth. Yeah, that's the big question that, that I often start with. And I actually use I, we use uh, we use uh, Arendt's work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great um, there's a great piece that I can imagine working with. It's a Superman. It's called Superman for Tomorrow. Um, and he fights Zod, and it's awesome. But also, it's Superman disarms the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, about, and it's re- it talks about it's, it's revolution. It, it, it's steeped in revolution. Who, how are nation states built? Yeah, and, and who decides? Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> the the we, we look at truth, justice in the American way, and 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 we look at in particular this very. Um, enlightenment notion um this this enlightened idea right um this descartian logic um that mm-hmm. that says well i think therefore i am and then we say and and when i talk about non-western ideology or non-western epistemologies i talk about this uh, bantu phrase from west africa that's ubuntu which means i am because we are and and that's what when we talk about non-western ideologies it's it's uh i am because we are foregrounds the community first mm-hmm. i make i and that's what what Arendt in, in a lot of ways talks about too is it's socially constructed and that's the point of tension is who then is is in charge of that mm-hmm. and how so yeah we we do a lot of that stuff i would love to teach a, a revolutions in comics course would be amazing <laughs> So, I audit that. If if you offer that class, I will audit that. I will figure out a way to enroll. <laughs> so my, I'm finishing this master's in creative writing now, and I'm going to go through for the MFA, and I have to do mm-hmm. I have to do a paper for that, and so I'm going to do revolution in comedy. Ooh. That's that's the idea there to think about how comedy can be framed as because I've, I've talked I talked about it I have to teach a social minorities class but I teach it as social oppression that's just an oppression mm-hmm. class right and yeah. so there was a day in there where we we looked at a bunch of memes about white people <laughs> which was a great day in my teaching career but like the students I, I, I like I asked them like you guys understand why this is funny right and and why this is not this is not an example of racism. Whereas if I was like, let's look at memes about black people, then I'm fired, like, immediately and should Correct. be. And they, they didn't and, get and, it. <laughs> and, and deservedly so. <laughs> oh, definitely. Never should be allowed in a classroom again if I did that. Um, but Correct. but as a white, as a as a very white man uh, whose family has been in the United States since the 1630s, I feel like I have right. the, the obligation to say, like, let's talk okay. trash about white folks. Well, that's- and... <laughs> the whole thing was like this. It's about like comedy is about power, right? Like you're Let's talk it's, about power. Exactly. It's, it's funny if you punch up, but when you're punching down, then it it that's it's cruel, <laughs> and right. it's you're right. not you're not. There's no point in dinging. Like let's make jokes about poor people. Like I don't I don't like that. You know. Right. It, it's it, it's it, gross. So finding a way to to, to take some of this like revolutionary theorizing I've been reading about and even some of like the more ridiculous revolutionaries themselves and just like the weird <laughs> crazy stuff that some of these people did and and trying to connect that with like the history of comedy in at least in the US um from Charlie Chaplin on you know I think that was, that's a really interesting challenge and to do it with um I don't know if I could do it with comics. I'm not. I'm not really versed enough in that, but I could definitely do it in sci-fi. Um, and 
and that's I think one of the one of the things that I I will frequently touch on in my courses is these are revolution like these are revolutionary texts these are resistant texts mm-hmm. even if you think about them like think about comics for example we talk about the history of comics and the comics are written by largely um, lar- largely Jewish folks in the 30s mm-hmm. so you think about Superman Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster. Um, or, or even think about Stan Leibowitz, who, cha- who, who changed his name to Stan Lee because he's having problems getting work. And yep. he, he wanted to, at some point, write the Great American Novel, and he didn't want Stan Leibowitz to be used already, mm-hmm. so he just shortened his name. So that in and of itself is, a pol- is politically motivated. It's a political ideology. And to think about – talk about revolution – that revolutionized the way stories are told, mm-hmm. and it is a political. It is a political revolution in terms of you think about um, some of the stories that are told. When Captain America, Captain America fights a guy named Hatemonger, <laughs> right? You know who Hatemonger was? Nixon. Spoiler alert. I did not know that. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's very famous. Look at that. <laughs> Hate monger. He's a he's like a, in a purple clan robe. He's like a grand dragon type guy, and he's like a, he and, he, and and is like ruining America. Um, can, I, can I just say that, Cap- that the vision of Nixon in my mind that comes up of like animated Nixon is his floating head from Futurama. So I'm just right, imagining exactly. Nixon fighting right. that. Right. That. No, this is this is like <laughs> laughing era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and Cap fights. The hate monger, and there's this big famous panel where he takes the hate monger's <laughs> hood off, and they don't show Nixon. They don't draw a picture of Nixon, but it, but but everything, and they don't ever say Nixon, uh-huh. but everything ideologically is like, oh, that's Nixon. Yeah, it's like, you, you're the president of the United States, named <laughs> Richard Fixon. Yeah, right. It's just like. It, it messes Cap up so much that he stops being Captain America for a while and becomes Nomad. <laughs> wow. The man without a country. Yeah. Right? And so those are revolutionary texts. Yep. Right? Those are... When you think about Black Panther and the way... Black Panther comes out right before... Like two months before the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, you think about the representation of of folks of color in in comics. Prior to that, you talk about punching down a troubled history at oh, best. Sure. Yeah, um, dehumanizing is is more like it. So so those those are revolutionary. Not so much in this in this this upheaval, but in fundamental understandings of who people are and how they operate. Comics are are revolutionary medium, and so I think you could easily teach a course on that. Now I want to. Now I want you to teach a course on that. <laughs> now I demand you teach a course on that. <laughs> well, I've got nothing else better to do, so I may as well start <laughs> prepping this. Right. Just for kicks. Um, I think we should end it there on a super positive note, um, hopeful note. Thank you so much for doing this, Mike. Buddy, uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Hopefully, um, you know, people understand what what comics are, what a, a little bit what Afrofuturism is about. And um, they can f- uh, follow me on Twitter, at MBDando, or you can look me up on uh, at conventions at some point, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Send an owl. 
<laughs> There'll be conventions again one day. One day. One day. One day. All right. Hey, Andy Wilzak again. So, I uh, hope you enjoyed this week's show as much as we enjoyed putting it together. If you did, we would really appreciate it if you left us positive reviews, five-star ratings on iTunes and all of the other podcast places that you can do this stuff. And more importantly, this show thrives on word of mouth. So we are doing this completely through social media. All of the guests that we've had are people that I found on Twitter. <laughs> so if you are untenured and you are in any kind of academic discipline or you have an advanced degree and are working out in the field and you want an opportunity to come on the show and hype your stuff, please reach out. You can follow us on Twitter at Untenure Tracks or me at Hey Dr. Will. That's H-E-Y-D-R-W-I-L. Please send me a message on one or both accounts and we will book you on the show. It doesn't matter what your discipline is. I know that a lot of our previous interviews have been sociology and criminology based because that's my background, but I am open to anybody. So again, please rate and review the show. Tell your friends, tell your people about this, and I'll see you next week. Bye.